Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Here in the Northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks where kindred souls gather together to share intel, swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot known locally as the February Room is the inspiration for this podcast. No matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA, the North American distributor for composite development fly rods and accessories. 40 years of Kiwi ingenuity and graphite technology now available at cd-fishing.us or your local CD USA dealer. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And remember to go fishing. Here's your host, the Carnops, and this is the February Room. Welcome to the February Room. Um, the podcast that you're about to listen to is with Chad, and he is on the Yellowstone. And for obvious reasons, we had aired, we had recorded this podcast prior to the floods. So all the experiences that you're going to be listening to with Chad happened before the floods. And right now, I have Chad on the phone. Um, Chad, how are you holding up? Um, Good. Hi. Yeah, Rock Creek uh, obviously flooded Red Lodge a couple weeks ago. I think it was on the 13th. Uh, the town is bouncing back. The community came together really well. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't in town very much. I helped sandbag one day in between travel and work and family. Um, 
it seems to be coming along. Everybody's really, really working together. I noticed when we were out helping, there was actually folks that were visiting helping sandbag for the town. And it was neat to see. Neat to see some uh, great humanity, people trying to help out, even though they don't live in that community. Well, and... It's amazing because um, I've seen the guide relief program. Everyone's trying to raise money because even though the water level will come down, there's a lot of work in your future. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It seems, you know, COVID obviously was the year before, and then now we're, we're in this. So, yeah, it, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, people will eventually be guiding again, on the Stillwater and the Yellowstone, um, the Stillwater is still closed um, for obvious reasons. There's probably debris, you know, fencing rocks. The river will be forever changed with this unprecedented flood. I think that's a good way to say it, unprecedented floods. It's insane. And I just want everyone to listen to this episode because this happened before the floods, and this is a time for everyone to reflect on these waters that mean so much to us. There are lots of advantages uh, to being an independent outfitter, those not affiliated with a fly shop or lodge. These entrepreneurs have the freedom to introduce their clientele to diverse regional fisheries, unhinged by any gatekeepers or preset programs or schedules. Uh, In order to run a, a successful operation, it takes years of commitment to build a client list and go rogue. I'm always interested to hear how these guides built their business into a successful outfitting venture, and my guest today is a prime example. Chad Pavlik, welcome to the show. Thanks, Justin. Glad to be here. Yeah, man, we appreciate you taking the time. Um, I know you've uh, you got a lot, lot of stuff going on, family, and, and obviously the business, and uh, on the heels of your, uh, your ski season as well. Um, and uh, we always like to start things off here with a fishing story. So um, go ahead and fire away when ready. Yeah, fishing story. Um, well, I, I guess my most vivid memory probably wasn't even involved fishing. But after, after I'd finished up the baseball season, my dad would always take me fishing. And we'd plan maybe to go to Yellowstone Park for three or four days and fish somewhere around Cook City. So we piled in the Land Cruiser. And I grew up in Billings, so we left uh, about five in the morning. We had everything ready to go, and we're cruising along, you know, getting up over the pass. Everything's looking good, nice morning and everything and such, and uh, the clutch goes out. So we had, you know, driving through Cook City, we had no clutch, and we made the decision to go all the way through the park on a gorgeous day and just look at all that water and not be able to fish, but instead work together, you know, with stoplights and traffic and floating a clutch. And we managed to make it all the way around through the main entrance, through Gardner, Livingston, and not go back over the pass and head back to Billings and, you know, be in Billings by two o'clock. And, uh, you know, my dad at the time didn't really get too upset about anything. And he, he'd get hot once in a while, but I tell you what, um, he kept his cool. And that was probably the, the funnest trip I think I'd been on with him in the park. You know, regardless of the fishing, we've had a lot of good times there, but that time spent in that vehicle was was probably the most memorable one to me, for sure. And, and you that, never even never even wetted a line, eh? Never even wet a line, yeah. It was a gorgeous day, not too busy, September. It was, yeah, it was one of those days. But uh, yeah, 
that that's probably my most vivid memory. That's funny. My I remember uh, when I was a, a kid, we went for I think it was spring break, and um, we had this old suburban. And my dad didn't believe in spending, you know, good money on tires, which, yeah. <laughs> which in my mind is the one thing you should spend money on. But anyway, uh, I must have been 12 or 13 or something like that. And um, I, I remember I had a friend in tow with us and uh, there was another family and a couple other kids with us. And so I think there was six, eight people crammed in the suburban and we went out to southeastern Oregon. And, you know, I don't know if you've spent any time out in that neck of the woods, but it's all, you know, lava, volcanic, basalt, good, good, uh, you know, really good uh, arrowhead hunting out there. Um, yeah. And but that obsidian on the road is brutal, right? It's right. like just driving across glass. And we, glass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We had these old white wall tires of the Suburban and we got one flat and we're, we were able to deal with that one. And then we got a second flat and we were out in the kind of middle of nowhere. And um, anyway, we uh, we had uh, there was another rig with us. One of the other families had another rig. So um, they ended up driving back into the town of Lakeview and it was on a Sunday and I believe it was some holiday, man. I don't remember exactly, but maybe Easter or something like that. And, yeah. um, went to the, uh, the manager of Les Schwab's house and knocked on the door. And, you know, in those days, like Les Schwab would bend over backwards to help you out. And, and this guy went and Dan's and fired up the tow truck where kindred souls gathered like two and a half together hours to share intel on this awful road um, swap fly and relive the memories from seasons fixed pain. us up and gave us a spare tire and we went on our way and I'll, I'll yeah i'll never forget that trip you you never obviously remember the ones that go uh according to plan as well as you do the, the ones that turn out to be kind of an ordeal yeah yeah, agreed. Agreed. I mean, there's there's plenty of good fishing days that we've all had, and you remember moments and situations, and maybe a take or something like that. Or, but yeah, that stands out in my mind probably the most. That or maybe having lunch and watching a, a badger and a coyote battle it out. Oh, whoa. That, that, that was, sounds awesome. How, that was another, how did... another event sitting on the banks of Slough Creek with my dad. Having lunch and, yeah, watching those two play with each other and battle it out. The Badger one. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Right. Yeah, I'm not surprised, man. A, a full-grown badger is a that's a that's a menace. It's something to be something to behold for sure. What were they fighting over? It looked like they were uh, territory, either a groundhog hole or the the coyote was coming out the badger in one of the badger holes, and the badger just wouldn't come out of that hole. He wouldn't come out of the hole, and he'd come out throw throw a you know a claw or something like that, and the coyote would go after him. And, it must have been over food that maybe the badger had taken or something. Or and then territory. the badger eventually just fought him off. Yeah, I fought him off and it just tucked back in the hole. Kind of just huh. laid down, went back in. Wow, that's that's cool to see. It was pretty neat, yeah. Well, awesome. Well, um, how did you get your start in uh, in guiding? Um, and obviously, your um, your dad was a mentor of yours. And I'm sure he introduced you to the sport of fly fishing. But uh, at what point did you decide uh, to take this take the leap and, and and become a guide? 
I guess that probably started in college, but uh, just growing growing up fishing with uh, guys that I either played baseball with or my father and, and friends along the way. Um, we had a lot of good good people around us that fished and just getting together fishing. Um, of course, at the time, the money aspect in college was was good because you could make some money in the summer and, and actually be ahead of it when you went back to your school year. So, right. yeah, that would be, I guess, one of the main ways I got started into guiding. Love growing and fishing, just love being outside. Um, yeah, through, through friends and, and family. So did you start out working for a particular shop? I did, yeah. I started working for Phil Gonzalez at Bighorn River Lodge. Um, I started there for, I think, about 10 years. I started in 98 and then full-time in 99 for Phil and worked for him for about 10 years, I think. Okay, and then so you decided to go out on your own um, somewhere around the... Yeah, Phil sold the lodge in 2006. And I moved over to Kingfisher and guided for them for a few years for Matt and Carrie McMeans. And then I got my outfitter's license and decided to look out for myself a bit on that, that end of the deal. And how long, how long did it take you to kind of build up your clientele or did you have enough clients that you felt you were ready to, to take the plunge? It's a continuing process. Um, yeah, continuing process for sure. Being an independent contractor, you're still working for, for lodges as I do now still as well, but as far as taking the plunge, it, it's just a matter of doing it. Um, and then they, they gradually find you um, in the through word of mouth, um, building that up. And, the, and your business is called Front Range Drifters, correct? Front Range Drifters, yeah. It's it's kind of a Colorado, Colorado name on the front side of the Rocky Mountains here, yeah. And so you have your own independent outfitting business, and then you also still sub for some other folks? I do subcontract a little bit, yeah. Gotcha. And uh, tell me about all the waters you guide on. Obviously, um, the Bighorn is uh, kind of the bread and butter and a really important tailwater fishery to tons of people. It's, you know, often mentioned among the top five tailwater fisheries in the country. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do guide both the Bighorns um, in Wyoming and, and the one in Montana. The, the Wyoming program tends to be more spring and fall and the water conditions are a little more advantageous. Um, it's not as I was dirty with moss, so spring, spring and late fall are good time periods. Um, summer it tends to get a little bit warmer. Um, I don't own a lodge; we're a small home-based operation on a red lodge, so I, I help out with lodging and hotel work with that, and a few VRBOs and rentals. Um, that's our Wyoming program, and that starts typically in March, and then fish October, November there as well. Um, it's a great fishery. It's kind of a moving lake. They have crawfish in there. Um, the fish are really measured in pounds, not inches, um, all shapes and sizes. Rainbow and brown trout fishery mainly, and they have some Bonneville cutthroat that they have stocked in there. That's that's the Wyoming side. And, and then, of course, the Montana bighorn, um, more more walk weight options in that stretch, um, probably from three mile to bighorn is really considered probably one of the best 10 miles of river, I would venture to say, in the state of Montana. Um, it's just got a lot, of, a lot of options, a lot of character to it. So that, that's the home river that I grew up on and, um, you know, drawing a similarity over to Wyoming. That's, I started fishing that maybe 15 years ago and had to start guiding and just was too neat, too neat of an area. And they kind of cross over in comparison. 
Yeah. And that's nice to have both options and, um, you know, just to be mobile and, um, and yeah. focus on different environments throughout the season. I think it makes, uh, just your life and your job way more interesting. Totally. Yeah. It keeps, uh, keeps a guy fresh to be able to bounce and, and see new water and do new techniques and, um, just, just stay on the up and up that way. You don't get locked into anything. It's really, uh, yeah, it's really refreshing. I'm a better guide for it. And, uh, I think clients realize that and can see it. And that's, that's a big deal. Um, especially coming into the summer in, in the July months, work in the Stillwater and the Yellowstone, try to be close to home and it's nice to smell pine trees. Yeah. Work, right. Work <laughs> Right, right. So, so you operate on the Stillwater, the Yellowstone, the Montana Bighorn, and the Wyoming Bighorn. Those are kind of your four. Yeah, those are my my four main rivers. Wow. Yeah. So you're 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 bouncing around a fair bit. That's really that's really cool. The Bighorn in Wyoming is that. So I I've never fished that myself. I, I keep hearing you know more and more whispers about it. Um, it's the typical like, yeah, don't tell anybody, but go check it out. Um, <laughs> but uh, so is that a is that a boat fishery uh, primarily, or you know what's your program over there look like? It is with Wyoming water laws. Um, it is primarily a boat fishing fishery, and uh, that's that's the way we guide predominantly. I do hold uh, BLM permits, and I'm able to wade BLM marked sections. Um, I took on those permits for, for that reason. There is there is some decent waiting. Um, so when the options are, are there, uh, like for instance, trico fishing or just getting behind a pod when they're they're on PMDs or something like, like of that sort, um, it's nice to have those those options to be able to get out of the boat in those BLM sections and be able to fish. Um, but yeah, it's uh, primarily we're running drift boats down there. Yeah, uh, Wyoming's phenomenal fishing. Um, and I've been you know, exploring around there more and more, but, uh, you do have to, uh, you do have to mind your P's and Q's over there. It's totally different than Montana. Um, my understanding is you can't even drop anchor, uh, on those rivers if you're floating through private land, right? Correct. The anchor laws, um, are similar to Colorado. Um, they're, they're marked actually a lot more these days than normal. So when you go over there, um, you will see no trespassing signs. Yeah, anchor is anchoring in the river. Riverbed is private property, so yeah, no anchoring laws. Uh, yeah, you have to watch p's and q's, just like you said for sure. There's a decent amount of water down there. You, you can float north of town, almost to Warland, and uh, there's some diversion dams and stuff down there that make it a little bit challenging. So know before you go over there for sure. Take a drive, take a look at it. Right, <laughs> there's right. Some stuff down there. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. The Bighorn in Montana. So it, you know, this was, this is all just rhetoric that, that I heard. So, um, it, it kind of went through a phase over the last few years. And again, this is what people had told me, um, where the, you know, maybe the mean size of the fish was down and the fishery was going through some struggles and everything. Uh, is that accurate or what, what, what did you see? 
Yeah, we had a significant period, almost 10 years of 15 that were extremely high, um, carrying on into the summer. So our water temps got got pretty high and then rainbow recruitment kind of got washed. So what we saw was the brown trout population was getting better and better, almost surpassing the rainbow trout uh, in comparison for percentage in, in the river, which wasn't a bad thing. And currently right now that uh, that river system probably has the best size fish class that I've seen in 23 years. Wow. Um, it's, it's got a great fish size class and, and even better, we have smaller fish that we're catching right now too. Um, six, seven inch rainbows. Um, haven't seen a lot of small browns yet, but it's early, but uh, yeah, it, it's in great shape. It is seeing a lot of traffic as per normal, uh, similar to the Missouri or the Beaverhead. Yeah, I went over there last spring and I hadn't fished the the bighorn in a long time. I used to go over there when I went to college in Bozeman way back in the day. Um, and then periodically I'd head over there and check it out. But it had been at least 10 years, I think, since I'd, since I'd fished it. So I kind of missed that whole period, the downturn or transition period, whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, but yeah, last year, last spring when we went out there, you know, it was nuking windy. We were there obviously uh, in during this the spring storm, so you never know what you're going to get weather wise, right? But um, yeah, we had nuking winds. But um, yeah, I just swung a fly and had a blast, and um, I just found that river so conducive to that technique because you can just walk for a mile and and just cover a run and uh i just had a blast swinging flies and caught some really nice browns big rainbows it was great agreed i'm, I'm looking forward to the, the all rod you gave me and, and working on brushing up on a technique that i haven't been familiar with and looking forward to doing that yeah swinging fly. it's certainly popular in the missouri and then and montana rivers uh being the big horn and such they're easy to wade and walk and those big long pools that you can sweep a fly through are, are awesome for that. Yeah, and particularly when the wind's howling like that, you know, you just uh, you use whatever cast off whichever a shoulder, obviously, on your leeward side. But in graphite and, um, and <laughs> the wind actually can kind of just help you clear everything out of your way when you're making your, your spay cast. And, um, yeah, the presentation, obviously, isn't affected at all like it is with a dead drift presentation when you're when you're fighting the wind so it's exactly it's, yeah it's perfect for that so um yeah awesome um and then in the off season chad um you're a, a ski patroller up at uh, up at red lodge i am i i joined that crew um two years ago started ski patrol three days a week up there on part-time um with two young boys just doing tuesday wednesday thursday yeah we got James, our eight-year-old, in second grade, and then Ian will start school full-time. So, yeah, I do that three days a week and enjoy enjoy being on the ski area. That's how we we met was coaching ski racing. Right. That's, that's always been a part of my history and a part of me skiing as my wife and family, too. So. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's such a fun activity with kids. I, you know, since since you and I coached in the, the same era, I kind of got away from skiing for a while and then um, – now to pick it back up with my kids because they just love it and uh just spending time on the chairlift and um you know just the whole day it's just such good quality time with your family it's awesome yes 
Yes, and they eat and sleep like they should after. Yeah, (laughs) right, right. And we're fortunate in Montana. Uh, Again, don't tell anybody. But uh, we're we're fortunate here that we still have affordable skiing for, you know, for middle class families. So, um, yeah, yeah, if I lived in, in Bend or or Bozeman or Colorado, I wouldn't, uh, my kids wouldn't be on the mountain as much as they are. Um, we have a plethora of little mom and pop ski shops to choose from around here that are similar to, you know, Red Lodge is a a great little ski area too. Yeah. Just what you said. Yeah. We're fortunate that lift ticket prices are, are are decent still. And the, yeah, the snow is terrible though. So don't come over here. Right. People are rude. There's no, the bars are awful. Bars are awful, and yeah, yeah. Grizzly bears surprisingly don't hibernate in the winter. <laughs> right, it's weird. Yeah. It's, on it's an anomaly over there. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, do you uh, do you do any um, venturing around in the off season? Um, do you guys get out on any saltwater trips, or do you do you host any trips with your clients or anything like that? Are you doing that? It seems like everybody's doing that these days. It it seems to be uh, not. Not yet, but I have talked with a, a client and a friend who uh, works with the Corsion Coral Lodge, and I think in the future I, I'm trying to get together some, yeah, some fishermen to go down and fish Argentina um, on the Lime, and oh, cool, doing Dorado on the front side and the back side of that trip. So yeah, in, in the future I will be trying to do that. That way I can get a time period to fish too as well. But uh, yeah, right, right. Show, show some people. To, what Argentina is about. I have never been and it's on my bucket list and yeah, looks amazing. Well, yeah, well, I need to go back because my initial foray there um, didn't quite go as planned. So I've, I've mentioned that before on this show, but we got, we got heavily rained out of our golden Toronto trip. And um, yeah, I, I need to, I need to run that one back, go do that, go do that again. And, and, you know, that's the way it goes, right? Like you can't expect to go on one trip and, and, and have everything fall into place. So you, oftentimes you got to give her two or three swings before you get a hold of one. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I have a friend in Red Lodge that, uh, it goes rooster fishing quite a bit and it's hit or miss. Yeah. Despite what the fly fishing catalogs show us, like you think, Oh, cool. I'm going to go to Belize and catch a giant permit. But uh, the reality is you might not even get to go out in the boat. Might so. not see one of y'all or get in the boat. Yeah, exactly. So uh, what's the what's the current population of those um, those gold eyes or golden eyes uh, in the bighorn? Those things are really fun to catch. They're cool fish. I haven't caught one in forever. but They are a cool fish. Um, you know, in the last couple of years with the water being so cold and, and pretty steady, steady flow and consistent, we haven't seen a lot of the gold eye in the top 20 miles. I would say if you're hunting gold eye to go, um, mallards down to two leggings uh, in the summertime and streamer fish for those. And you might even get a big trout. Okay. Yeah. Those are, then those are a native fish to the bighorn system, aren't they? I, I believe so to the Yellowstone, uh, Yellowstone drainage. Yeah. Okay. I believe so. But don't quote me. Yeah. You don't hear much about those, but, um, they're, uh, they're a lot of fun to catch. They're like a, a little, you know, silverish tarpon looking fish. Um, exactly, yeah. They, yeah, they're a hoot, man. They're a blast. They eat a dry fly pretty voraciously. Um, hopper season, we'll catch a few now and again in the upper. But uh, yeah, they're, they're a ball. 
they'll eat a streamer pretty good as well. And they get pound and a half, I think, maybe bigger. And do you do any um, like warm water trips at all, smallmouth or anything on the Yellowstone? Or are you primarily a trout guide? Primarily a trout guide. Yeah. I would, I would like to do that John Day trip with the family and go for smallies in September. That's something that's always interests me. I don't know. Yeah, that's a great trip. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 really fun. I used to I got used to guide on that river a little bit and floated it quite a bit with my family and and friends and stuff. And that was kind of an annual. We go over there at least two or three times a year. Um, and yeah, it's it's permitted now in stretches, which isn't a bad thing. Um, I don't think at all. But uh, yeah, if you have the time to go do like the whole five day float on the John Day, you should definitely go do that with your family. It's super amazing country. Yeah, it looks looks gorgeous and camping and fishing. Yeah, gorgeous camping, uh, you know, great wildlife, amazing scenery. And uh, if, yeah, if you go there in the heat of the summer, you'll catch smallmouth uh, right and left on topwater poppers. It's a, it's a lot of fun. And there's some there's some big fish in there. I understand that lower Yellowstone has some big smallmouth in it as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I know I have some friends that uh, that do that. Yeah, they have a good time down there. Yeah, I need to go over and, and check that out. I I really love smallmouth fishing, and and my wife is now um, totally enthralled by it after our trip to Wisconsin last last summer. So. I saw that trip on social media. It looked like a great time. Yeah, a lot of fun. You know, we've got we've got a pretty good smallmouth fishery over here too, um, which uh, which is a lot of fun in the summertime too. So you don't have to drive all the way to the John Day, but it's definitely definitely worth the trip. Um, on on the river, or is it a lake? Flathead River. Oh, right on. Yeah. Yeah, good. yeah, and you know, there's a multi day float you can do up there. Um, and camp along and it's, it's, it's awesome, man. It's, um, it's on, it's on the reservation. You got to get the reservation permits and everything, but it's easy one to do. Yeah. Yeah. That would be even better. Yeah. It's, (laughs) it's super cool. So, um, so like how many guide days are you running in this, in a season, Chad, you mentioned that you, you start in kind of Wyoming in the spring and finish in Wyoming in the spring and then, um, all summer in Montana, I imagine. Yes. Yeah. Most of the summer in Montana, I am in Wyoming a little bit in June and August and then September uh, on the Bighorn. But uh, yeah, for all intents and purposes, I'll try to do at least 130 to 145 ish, 150 days a year and and trying to get more and more for myself. um, And so I can open up my calendar and and be around a little bit more as the kids are growing with baseball and, and athletics and summertime. Well, I want to take them fishing a little bit more. So I'm working towards that. I will do about 80 to 90 days for myself and then subcontract out uh, the other supplemental. Yeah. Like me, you're kind of at that age where you're like, okay, I need to kind of start petering off a little bit. Um, so I can spend more time fishing with my family. Um, yeah, so I've kind of cut it down to like I'm trying to keep it around 50 days the last couple of years, um, but it's hard to turn down the work, right? Like, yeah, somebody will call and be like, "Hey, can you do five days?" 
over the 4th of July. Like, well, I suppose. It is. It's, it's hay season for a guide, for sure. Yeah, it is. It's it's nice that you have um, the ski patrol thing um, in the off season is perfect. Like um, just, yeah, the, the ski patrolling, ski coaching, something like that is a, is a, is a great side hustle. Um, I, think the, good, I think it's really good for a guide, uh, you know, just for the mental aspect of it. Um, you know, not the monetary, um, just being around and doing, doing the teamwork stuff and coaching, Coaching ski racing actually really helped my guiding. Um, yeah, you know, building that that base with your clients and, and your coaching style it really comes out in my guiding. And a lot of the guides that I hire as well are, are that way as well. They they work in the off season, whether it be construction or coaching, or some sort of athletics that they're in venture sports. So, yeah, I think it's important important to have a winter outlet. Yeah, it was pretty cool. The other day we did a, a women's fly fishing crash course here at uh, the Kettle House Brewery in Missoula. And um, so, you know, a local guy, Jay Dixon, came and helped us. And uh, Sam Lundgren, who works for Meat Eater out of Bozeman, came over and helped us. And we had uh, Nick Halley from Trout Unlimited and, and then um, uh, Logan and Mac Bloom, a couple local anglers. So we had a kind of diverse group of instructors and Lauren and I taught some stuff too. I did the fly tying. She did like knot tying and rigging. And we had this, you know, cool little crash course for, for ladies um, in partnership with an organization called girl get after it. Nice. And um, yeah. And uh, I was doing the fly tying and there was this young gal sitting there that looked kind of familiar to me. And like, you know, halfway through my San Juan worm instructions, she, she asked me if I, did you use the ski coach? And uh, I said, yeah. And she's like, oh, you were my coach. And she uh, she had a sister. And I said, oh, are you her? And no, no, I'm her sister. And I, you know, obviously remembered her too. But it was really cool to to um, to see her and see that she was, uh, you know, super into to um, this girl get after a program. And and she was pretty dialed into all the aspects of. Uh, of the fly fishing crash course we did, you know, of course we did rigging, casting, like fish ID, river safety, conservation, and then fly tying all kind of crammed into two hours. Um, but uh, yeah, it was really cool, uh, you know, that, that she remembered me because I didn't coach for that long. Right. And you kind of figure out ah, that kids probably don't remember who you were, but I certainly remember who my ski coaches were um, even when I was a little kid. For sure. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah, it, it's great to hear that in such a small world. It's nice to hear that feedback because at the time when you're doing it, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those jobs. You don't, you don't always get patted on the butt and say, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not a lot of attaboys. Not Just a lot, a lot of, of like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Coaching in Montana was fun too, man. I, I gotta say like um, other places I, I, could see it being just, and I know that it's a total nightmare because I've got friends that have coached at, you know, larger, ritzier places as I'm sure you have too. Um, and being part of a small little club, you know, small town, um, ski team. Uh, and we just didn't have like many issues with the parents either. The parents were all really cool, and pretty much just kind of hands off for the most part. I mean, there's always issues, right? But uh, sure. 
but I thought that coaching here was, was a really great environment uh, to do it in. I had a lot of fun. Agreed. Yeah. It's, it's refreshing. And uh, you know, the parents are as active as the kids and, and I don't know, I, I guess I found that when the, the parents are as active as their kids, uh, it doesn't seem to be a deal. So. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And then that girl ended up winning the fly rod that we donated out of the raffle too. So that was cool. So <laughs> I knew it was in good hands because, uh, you know, the, like, like anything, fly fishing's um, an athletic endeavor and uh, ski racers are usually pretty good athletes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The, the crossover, you, you know, for any, any sport, anybody can take anything that they do and, and cross over into fly fishing and be pretty dang successful at it. If they bring that intensity in it. and, you know, throwing a fly out and wanting to catch a fish is a, is a big deal. And I think people that play sports and do that uh, understand it. Um, you know, yeah, whether it be golf or, or hockey players. Um, yeah. Hand-eye, hand-eye yeah, coordination helps. It just For sure. I remember um, we had, uh, I wasn't on this shoot. This was like right when I got hired for outdoor television and they had, they were doing a show with Bodie Miller. And that was back in kind of like Bodie's heyday, you know, and yeah. um, he had never fly fished before. And by day two, he was killing it. Right. I picked it up quicker than anybody you could imagine, you know. And I think Bodie won this event um, where he was in competition with like some NBA players and some NFL players and, and athletes from, you know, major athletes, right? right. All pros. And it was, it was like an athletic overall competition. And um, and he he beat everybody. I believe it. Yeah, yeah it's pretty pretty amazing. Well, awesome, Chad. Um, so, what's the best way for for folks to reach you, um, learn more about your your guide service, and all the cool trips that you offer? Yeah, um, my website is uh, frontrangedrifters.com, and that has that that has our, our trip explanations and the waters we guide on it, pricing and so forth. Uh, a little bit about us and, and family and where we're at. And then uh, via email, which is my last name, P-A-V-E-L-I-C-K, letter C at gmail.com. Um, email, email is certainly one of the best ways for sure um, to get in touch with me. You know how phone service is when you're guiding. You have yeah. Sometimes you don't. But uh, yeah, just leaving Thank a voicemail or, or phone or an email are certainly the best way. And then as far as web presence, again, frontrangedrifters.com explains what we do and has some photos up there and testimonials and such. Well, great, man. Well, I know, I know you've, um, I, I, you've developed a, a loyal following of, of clients. I run into people all over that, uh, that know you and have fished with you and recommend you. So um, it's good, strong word of mouth. Uh, yeah, I appreciate it. And that's, that's the best way to do this business. For sure. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. All the Instagram and stuff is neat to look at, but at the end of the day, I don't believe that it really, (laughs) that it really, uh, uh, sells folks on it. It's, it's learning from a friend, you know, or hearing a name from a buddy, somebody that you know and trust and says, Hey, you got to go fishing, you know, with this guy up here, it's a pretty unique experience. So right on, man. So good on you for, uh, for, uh, you know, sticking it out and, and, um, 
in making a name for yourself and, and developing a loyal list of clientele. I'm sure that uh, guiding is much more enjoyable for you at this point in your career than it was when you were starting out. And, and you know, you're just always getting kind of a um, rotating door of, of newbies and blind dates. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's fishing with friends and meeting new ones. And uh, yeah, being able to uh, yeah ride a little higher in your seat these days is, is definitely better. <laughs> there you go, man. Well, right on. Well, thanks for taking the time to chat with us and we'll catch up with you soon, Chad. Go to thefebruaryroom.com where you can access a complete library of our podcast and read more about our guests, their fishing stories, and favorite fly patterns. We're always looking for exceptional fly fishing yarns. And if you have one to spin, shoot us an email at info at thefebruaryroom.com. The February Room is always free, but if you feel like throwing a nickel in the pond, we appreciate any additional listener support. For companies and individuals interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us for our media kit. Thanks for stopping by the February Room, and we'll see you down here next week.